0: Hello and welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast, here to cover all things TCU Athletics. I'm Anthony North, that's Russ Hodges. We've got a big, big show uh, today, lots to talk about on TCU Sports World. Uh, TCU number seven in the college football playoff ranking, coming off a 41-31 41-31 win at West Virginia. First win over the Mountaineers since 2017. First win in Morgantown since 2014. Russ, how are you feeling today?
1: I'm feeling good, man. I'm uh, going to be operating on short sleep tonight, flying out to Fort Worth tomorrow morning. Going to be at the Tech game this weekend. Uh, my dad's going to be flying down with me. I'm going to be catching up with some buddies and. Uh, looking forward to a great time this weekend and looking forward to hopefully seeing another big win on Saturday
0: yeah man that's awesome it's it's gonna be a an exciting atmosphere out there at the Carter the big noon kickoff uh, Fox show will be out at TCU campus um, that's that's noon Eastern time everybody the game starts at 11 be be on time for the game um, get in the stadium we don't want to see it too red there. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how, uh, the stadium fills up with all of the off season kind of shenanigans between the fan bases and, and all of that. There's been a lot of talk. This has been something that the tech fans have hung their hats on. So that'll be interesting to see. But, um, going back to the West Virginia game, um, TCU comes away, covers the spread 10 point victory. Um, but it was certainly more nervous, uh, than it probably needed to be. Um, first half looked like TCU really couldn't make any stops on that West Virginia, particularly the C.J. Donaldson-led rushing game. Um, he was just having a field day against the TCU defense in that first half.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I thought coming out, when you look at the defensive performance in the first half, you take away the the Trey Tomlinson Force fumble, which was a, a huge play for him, but collectively, um, just kind of bad fundamental defense by TCU. You saw a lot of uh, missed tackles, especially in the run game. You saw sacks that could have been there, and JT Daniels is not a very mobile quarterback. I think we all know that. Um, there are other guys in the conference that can move a lot faster than he does, but Uh, chances to wrap them up for a loss and guys just, you know, kind of whiffed and they were able to take advantage and turn those situations into positive gains and first downs to extend drives and uh, penalties really hurt in the first half. The Frogs had some chances to get stops and get off the field. Instead, penalties extended West Virginia drives. And, you know, I watched the first half and I didn't really feel like the Mountaineers were doing anything overly complicated. They came out looking to control the line of scrimmage, run the ball with C.J. Donaldson, and they executed good play action off of that. And it just seemed to me like TCU was two steps slow defensively on getting to the spots. I thought about a play where, uh, a couple plays, one was a run with C.J. Donaldson off the left side where he breaks it down the sideline, picks up about 30 yards, and, you know, Jamoy Hodge comes sprinting right through the middle right through an open hole where there's nobody there and then he winds up trailing the rest of the play you know for the next 5 or 6 seconds while Donaldson's picking up yardage and then the fourth down play where West Virginia converts on the touchdown pass to Justin Johnson they have two inside slot receivers that run kind of a artificial it's kind of like a pick play where you get the running back rolling out of the backfield you have two receivers running Uh, inside slants to occupy space and take some of those DBs away. But, you know, TCU had three guys there. Keon Stewart wound up being late on Justin Johnson. It's a touchdown. He turns to his teammates and is kind of like, you know, was that your guy? Like, was that a a blown coverage or just, you know, being slow to the spots? But um, the offense continues to kind of pick up the slack. I mean, Max Duggan had another awesome effective, efficient performance. Kendra Miller after 29 carries the week before averages about 10 yards a carry against West Virginia. And, uh, with the defense kind of faltering in the first half, the offense really picked up the slack for sure.
0: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm trying to pull up Miller's stats here, but I think it was exactly 10 yards a carry on 12 carries for 120 yards. So, uh, a, big day for for Miller to be able to um keep keep his his fantastic season going and and yeah the the offense really hitting on explosive plays that never really even giving a chance for the West Virginia defense to to settle into anything or give an opportunity to disrupt drives I mean we're we're seeing we've got touchdowns of seventy one yards, fifty one yards, thirty yards, twenty nine yards. Those are those are big big plays to to be able to go out and take those points uh, right away in those drives. So I, I would say negatives on the offensive side. There there were a couple of sacks taken. Um, that first drive ended with you know. It, Basically, the the Frogs had first down uh, deep in the territory. Another sack that, that pushes them out of field goal range f- sets up like a fourth and 18 um, inside the 40 and ends up a, a, a punt for a touchback. So, you know, you end up punting and gaining like 10 yards, 20 yards maybe on the punt. And um, it's not the kind of start you wanted to have, particularly as... Uh, kind of the narrative has been building on TCU having these these poor starts. Um, I think you know into the second half things settled in a little bit. Um, the the defense clearly uh, settled into their game plan. I mean, frankly, the the only points surrendered in the second half there's there's the terrible fumble um, call from. Uh, the the punt where there's not called kick catch interference where there's there's a Mountaineer standing you know he, he can smell Darius Davis's breath he's standing so close and you know another Mountaineer bowls over uh, a TCU uh, blocker into that guy standing in front of Davis runs in and, and it knocks Davis ball kind of bobbles away and and Noah Daniels for some reason touches it and it's a fumble turnover and the defense holds steady there and, and only gives up a field goal. Um But, you know, watching that back, I, I can't believe that call was made. I mean, just a, just an egregious bad call from the referees. Uh, another one, it seems like Darius Davis has the misfortune of having referees get stuff wrong on, on, against him uh that's that's like the third or fourth one this season but um and and then the late touchdown is is the only other points that uh West Virginia scored and that that drive really benefited from a couple of poor pass interference penalties that definitely weren't necessary that um you know kind of wiped away a sack on that drive and then the kind of extremely impressive mossing catch for the third game in a row. We've got receivers making insane plays against the uh, TCU secondary. But other than that, that fumble that gave the Mountaineers a field goal and that penalty-aided spectacular play touchdown, second half, the defense again came and gave TCU the chance to win the game.
1: Yeah, I know Sonny Dykes, just touching real quick on the special teams play that you brought up about the fair catch interference. Sonny Dykes was asked about it after the game, and uh, I guess it's a rule that if players are blocked into the return man as he waves for a fair catch, uh, that doesn't qualify as fair catch interference. I think that's a rule, hopefully, that gets changed, because to me that doesn't make sense. I think if the return man waves for the fair catch, you got to give him clear view to catch the football. It shouldn't matter if a guy gets, because what, what Sonny Dyke said is what's essentially what's happening on special teams is you have gunners and uh, guys who are going downfield and are trying to block uh, players into that return man to hopefully have something like what we saw happen. So uh, hopefully that rule gets changed over the off season because it it definitely seems like something players and teams could take advantage of. But uh, defensively, I really thought it really just came down to executing the fundamentals better. I thought TCU tackled better. They were able to get JT Daniels down behind the line of scrimmage on those plays that they missed in the first half. I want to say uh, Dylan Horton got Daniels once. Jamoy Hodge might've gotten him as well, but Uh, With the offense continuing to roll the way that it was, they were able to get West Virginia in some more obvious passing situations where they had to get the ball moved down the field quickly. And the Frogs were able to sit back in coverage. I know Noah Daniels had a a pass breakup. They had a a couple other incomplete passes they were able to force. And uh, C.J. Donaldson was banged up during the game. I think that hurt. West Virginia's offense, they were coming in without Tony Mathis, so at one point they were down to their uh, third-string running back in Justin Johnson. But, um, you know, offensively, just continuing to be efficient. I thought at the end of the game, and Anthony, I'll ask you this as well, but at the end of the game, uh, Sonny Dyke said that they were trying to manage Kendray Miller's workload a little bit because he did get 29 carries in the previous game. Um but he was playing really well. And you also have guys like De Mercado and Amani Bailey, who his only touch of the game was a 30 yard touchdown uh, on a play where I really liked that call there because you had a timeout. You could run the ball if you want, but uh, getting back to late in the game, I I hated those Quentin Johnston run plays. I know the first one was kind of a fluke because of the missed timing of the snap and the ball just kind of landed in his lap as he was running across. But I swear that play has never worked. I might be wrong about that. I'll have to look at the numbers and what Quentin Johnston is averaging in terms of yards per carry, but uh petitioning to have that play scrapped from the playbook. Um or if you're gonna do it, do it with Tay Barber or Darius Davis. Don't do it with your six four big body receiver who's an excellent route runner with great hands. Um I, I just I would have again, even if you want to manage Kendra Miller's carries Run a quarterback power with Max Duggan. I don't think Max had any designed carries until toward the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, De Mercado didn't see a huge workload. Again, Bailey has seldom been used this season. Uh, didn't didn't like those calls down the stretch. I thought they got too cute and had to settle for some field goals. So hopefully, going into this Texas Tech game now uh, against a team that could put up points, uh, you see TCU really buckle down and commit to, to running the ball and they can cash in those drives.
0: Yeah. I think that the drive you're speaking of it was, <laughs> I was really worried we were going to look back at the end of the game and be like right here, here's the moment the season flipped um, in a bad way. So uh, glad we ended up getting points out of that and that it didn't end up uh, hurting TCU in the end. But um yeah, to set the situation, TCU had first and goal from the, just outside the goal line. I mean, At, at the one-yard line, um, the previous play, DeMarcado had taken it down and gotten a face mask call against West Virginia, so first and goal from the one, and for that to be the series of plays, specifically to the Quentin Johnston um, sweep plays, I guess, I just don't know why that's the way you would use him as a weapon. Um, that's, I wouldn't want Quentin Johnston running sideways as my best bet to score anywhere or to pick up any amount of yardage. That's, that's not his best attribute and he's not the best one to, to run that kind of play. Um, so like you said, do that with Davis or Barber or one of the running backs coming from the slot. Um and the other thing is if if you're going to run something kind of interesting there, where was Jared Wiley in this game? I think you know, we we had spent the last couple weeks really talking up Wiley as a a huge weapon especially in the red zone, um you know, with his height, his size, his hands, um and to to not put anything in that situation from one yard out, not only are you not giving it to to Miller, who may have been a little banged up, uh, but not giving anything to to Max Duggan there, not giving anything to DeMar- DeMarcado, um giving yeah, giving no pass play opportunity. It was it was a tough series of events, um, and I think that was coming right out of the the quarter end so to start the fourth quarter um you know i i don't know i think i think it's it's, it may have actually been better that tcu lost so many yards on the quentin johnston kind of mis mishandled play because it made it so it was a no doubt kick that field goal and and move on with the game but um i don't know It it was a key moment and it ended up not coming back to hurt um, and I guess just on the field goals, shout out to Griffin Kell. Um, he he's been really clutch for TCU. Put that one was his easy kick of the day. Uh, there in close, but also hit a 46 yarder. Um, he he's been, and I'll continue knocking on wood about it, but he's he's been really um, a strength. For for TCU thus far this season to be able to rely on him to secure the points uh, when they're available,
1: mm. you know he's been training with Jaden Oberchrome. So what uh, what better way to come through in, in the clutch? than training in West with, uh,
0: Virginia in in yep. yeah in Morgantown in particular. So mm. um, let's see anything else on this game. I mean, I guess just that final touchdown to, to Savion Williams, um, you know, it's the kind of thing that maybe in the NFL or like if you're playing your buddy in Madden, you just uh, you just take the penalty and take the win and move on. Um, but I, I kind of like that TCU went ahead and, and accepted the points in that situation. I mean, it's only like 20 seconds left, um, but clearly as We'll talk about here soon. The style matters. The The point spread matters. Um, and, and and putting on, even if it's just in the final score, a, a double-digit victory on the road looks better than a three-point victory.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if Sonny Dykes had uh, TCU covering the spread in this game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I believe it was seven or seven and a half, but... Um, it was a cool play to see. You know, Savion Williams has uh, made that play in a game earlier this season. Uh, TCU wide receivers, I want to say between Davis, Williams, Johnston, and Barber, each of them had at least 60 yards receiving in this game. So uh, TCU continuing to spread the wealth. And uh, I know I, re- I wrote a little bit about Tay Barber earlier this week. It's just we've talked about it before on this podcast about how there are multiple guys who are showing up on a consistent basis. Um uh, it might not be the same guy every week, but uh you know Quentin Johnston's going to give you the juice every week, but uh we've seen Jared Wiley, we've seen Tay Barber, we've seen Darius Davis, we've seen Savion Williams. Uh just that's what good offenses do. You have guys who may be, you know, second, third options catching passes who are stepping up and making big plays um and and tay barber really i feel like is super underrated um just for what he's done with this program for the last four and a half years um the numbers may not necessarily jump off the stat sheet but the kind of catches that he makes he makes contested catches like the touchdown and double coverage against kansas he makes catches that extend drives um, had first down catches against Oklahoma uh, against Kansas state, obviously a huge play in this game. So just those are just kind of winning plays. You know, he's a winning football player. He makes winning plays. And when you have a lot of guys like that who don't make mistakes and don't uh, hurt the team, they just make good, solid football plays. It's just, good for the team in in general all around.
0: All right. Anything else on the West Virginia game before we, we move past it on to other events of the week in TC no, football? I'm, uh, I'm ready
1: to, I'm ready to get riled up uh, about right. the playoff rankings. So let's go ahead and uh... we,
0: <laughs> we keep telling you, don't watch the show. Don't, it doesn't matter. Don't let it get to you. Um, and then Tuesday night that, that commissioner boo Corrigan comes out and starts talking about TCU and you just can't help, but your blood boil. Um, and so I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just me, but it seems like TCU fans got let ourselves fall into the college football playoff trap again. Um, so I guess just to, to set the scene here, um, the initial release of the college football playoff committee's top 25 rankings came out Tuesday night and TCU came in at number seven, which, uh, you know, probably shouldn't have been too surprising. Um, TCU is at number seven in the AP poll, but you know, I, myself personally, I thought that the human body, the, the actual people Uh, making these decisions would review things like a resume and strength of schedule and the quality of wins. Um, And uh, that, that is somewhat different than the way that AP voters might think about things Um, because the, the playoff, they claim that it's like up to this point, here's what it should be, not a projection about what could happen or should happen later on in the season um so tcu comes in at seven it's uh, i should have pulled this up in front of me before we started talking but it's um tennessee one ohio state two georgia three clemson four michigan five alabama with a loss and no ranked wins at six and then tcu at seven um i'll i'll let you i'll let you roll with it what what's your first thought here
1: well, I think, uh, like many TCU fans, the the instant reaction is just, uh, "Lol." Um, just the, the dis. If I could pull up the disappointed but not surprised meme on my phone, I would do that right now because I don't think uh, anyone was really surprised to see TCU at seven. After it kind of settled in a little bit, it's not. It's discouraging. Uh, not necessarily because of the lack of respect. Um, I feel like that's just kind of the territory TCU's dealing with being a smaller school. Um, the only, uh, when you look at all the teams that are 8-0 and right now, TCU being the lowest of the 8-0 and ranked teams, and the rest of them are Blue Bloods. So um, that kind of speaks for itself. But I think what's discouraging is just kind of the ramifications for what this means for the remainder of the season because we have a game coming up between Tennessee and Georgia, uh, number one and number three, I can guarantee you if they're willing to put a one loss, Alabama ahead of TCU right now, whoever loses that game is still going to be ranked ahead of TCU going into next week. Even if the frogs win this weekend, they could win by 30 this weekend, which I hope they do. But I'm just saying, it's TCU cannot really bank on any help from the, the committee or even these other teams, and I think that's kind of, you know, well, duh. If they go 13 and 0 and win the Big 12 conference, yeah, how can they be turned away? Um, but I just think about it. Well, what if uh, TCU or any Big 12 champion in this particular season were to go 12 and 1 and win the championship? Would they get in over 12-1 and Tennessee or Georgia no. or, or Alabama? Nope. I don't think they would. So really, nope. it's it's very simple to me from this point on. TCU needs to run the table to get in. Um, if the Frogs, and I'm not trying to get too far ahead, I'm just speaking hypothetically, but if the Frogs were to go 12-0 and and lose the Big 12 title game or go 11-1 and and win the title game, I don't think they get in at twelve and one unless yeah I think a lot I think we'd
0: help. need a lot t c would need a lot of help in that case, mm-hmm. absolutely yeah, and it's it is discouraging because it, it basically puts t c u in the same realm as how Cincinnati was watching things happen last season um of well. You know, if we win them all and everybody else loses, then that's the way we get in. And it worked out for Cincinnati last year to get in. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a much tougher ask uh, for TCU to even go into this week against Texas Tech and then road games against Baylor and Texas um, and then Iowa State. I mean, th- those are not pushover games that, that TCU absolutely could lose. There there is, you know, a, a greater than zero percentage chance that that they lose those games. So uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I mean, I think we we knew this was the situation. We know TCU has. We've all been scarred from 2014. We know that TCU has to just just run through it to to come away with any respect from, from this committee. But I think what's, what's the most disheartening about it is just the way that the uh, committee chair speaks about, it ties himself in knots to justify the ranking situations. I mean, Mm -hmm. basically saying the exact same thing about Ohio state of, well, they're an explosive offense, and they had to come from behind to win that one game against the one good team that they played, and so that's the reason why we've put them ahead. But then, say, well, TCU had to come from behind to win games, and that's, you know, they fell behind. Like, I, I, I don't know. I guess... I guess giving this any more oxygen than it's worth is probably a waste of time and a waste of of my mental well-being but it's you know I wish there there were some more consistent way to speak about it and it, I don't know this guy this new this new chairman is going to be just as public enemy number 1 for frog fans as as the one was back in 2014
1: Yeah I think what what bums me out is when you look at just pure, purely based on resume and on strength of schedule, um, I'll just say, collectively, these ranked teams have a pretty trash non-conference. Uh, Georgia does have a really good win against Oregon, but Ohio State's non-conference is trash. I know Notre Dame was supposed to be good. They're not. Uh, Clemson's non-conference is trash. Uh, Alabama's non-conference is trash. Michigan's is garbage and TCU's, the worst and, and TCU's isn't good either. I mean, Colorado Tarleton no. and SMU are not going to do a lot law for you. But what I'm saying is no one really benefits from the non-conference of these teams, except for Georgia because they got that win against Oregon and Michigan up to this point has beaten one ranked team and it's a two loss Penn state, uh, who is ranked lower than Kansas state, by the way. um, and Kansas state losing to Tulane and TCU Penn state losing to Ohio state Michigan and Kansas state is ahead by two spots. I'm guessing because they dominated Oklahoma state, but, um, Ohio state has one ranked win this year against the team that's still ranked right now. Penn state TCU beat four consecutive ranked opponents. Um, I just I don't see how objectively, just based off of what they've achieved this year, and by ESPN's metrics, that TCU has a better strength schedule than Michigan and Clemson. I just don't see how TCU is at least number four right now. Um I believe Tennessee is the number one team in the country right now. I I believe Georgia personally is the second best team. I know they struggled against Missouri, but they have a big win against Oregon. They're the uh, defending champs. That that matters to me personally, but I don't see how, how TCU right now was ranked below Michigan. I don't see how TCU is ranked below Alabama. And, I mean, Clemson can make a bit of a better argument because of the wins against NC State, Syracuse, Wake Forest, but I think you have to put TCU above Clemson also. It's, it's just... Uh, I'm I'm interested to see if the the rankings stay the same. If if it's if everyone holds going into next week, um, if all these teams win, I'd be curious to see if there's any kind of movement. Um, I'm expecting that there won't be, but
0: yeah, the um, the loser of Tennessee Georgia will drop from one or three to four <laughs> or five. Five,
1: yeah, five yeah. or six, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know we were we were kind of watching this and and on the group chat as we're watching and like um when it came up that uh Penn State was ranked below Kansas State I was like okay well clearly they're gonna put TCU ahead of Michigan now there's there's no case Mm -hmm. resume there's no case whatsoever to have Michigan ahead of TCU um other than you know the big brand on the side of the helmet um And, you know, there's the talk there would only go to, well, you know, they're they're beating teams by a lot of points. Well, they're they're playing literally the worst teams in college football. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, like Rutgers, Indiana. uh, I mean, we're, we're talking about really poor competition um, that yes, Michigan is handling with ease, but I, I I don't know. If TCU had run that same schedule, they would be telling us how terrible the schedule was and that there's there's no deserving case. I you know, again, I'm try I tried to put the perspective of a lot of this will work out if TCU continues to win football games things will will play out in TCU's favor. Um but it it leaves it leaves no room for for anything else as far as the playoff is concerned. Now, as just a football watching TCU fan, I think you have to be a little bit of perspective that you know, going to the playoff is not the only thing that matters for this season. This season is <clears throat> already a success. This season has continued opportunity to be special, and, you know, Big 12 championship is still on the table, and New Year's Six Bowl, whichever one that may be, is still on the table, and while the playoff is still on the table, that's that continues to be a stretch goal uh, compared to going out Saturday and taking down Texas Tech.
1: hmm and just a couple of quick notes on the on the poll. I believe Oklahoma State is ranked ahead of Illinois as well. So the the committee clearly uh, has some more respect for the Big Twelve than the Big Ten in terms of those those middle teams. But um, just some, some kind of some things that I found kind of funny looking at the other rankings, like LSU being number ten is hilarious to me because uh, LSU, other than beating Ole Miss, has done frankly nothing this year. And that, well, they have a
0: quality loss to number one Tennessee, <laughs> so you know that's that's what matters.
1: Well, well, and that's and maybe that's why Texas got in at uh, at twenty three, um, mm-hmm. despite having three oh, losses. definitely. And then uh, looking at the the Pac twelve, um, USC being number nine and UCLA being number twelve is interesting because they have a common opponent and it's Utah, who is ranked, beat USC, uh, lost pretty handily against UCLA, who mm-hmm. also beat Washington. Earlier this year, USC's schedule is hot garbage. If you haven't looked at it, go check it out. Uh, but they're number nine, and UCLA is number twelve. Uh, that don't make no sense. Um, <laughs> that's if you want an example of brand bias. Um, I know SEC Definitely. bias is a SEC bias is a common uh, cliche and a common item people like to throw out. But I think it's more about brand bias personally um that that's an example of it to me lsu coming in at 10 right when they have a matchup coming up against alabama and ole miss being 11
0: on espn who runs the playoff yeah
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so we'll see what happens man um lowering expectations for these for these shows like you said last week should probably shouldn't have watched it but with, <laughs> with as many friends and people that i know that went to tcu that are connected to tcu it's hard not to it's hard not to get you know riled up about it especially because you're you're passionate about it so um, yeah just got to take care of business and and it'll all play itself out
0: and yeah if you want to read my late night thoughts on uh, after uh, i put the blog up with the recap on it so there's there's plenty of my uh my thoughts there um and yeah probably going forward we we won't have this level of attention it's just the first one that comes out and it really sets the table of what are what's this particular committee thinking about things and um you know we'll we'll see how it all plays out and and how tcu's position within the national conversation continues forward i think the playoff committee, I hate it. It's the worst. But I'm I'm super glad that TCU is is in this conversation. And there are a lot of people, national media people, who have come to the defense of TCU. And Joey Galloway on the on the broadcast was was uh, you know pretty baffled by the situation for the frogs. And Joel um, Joel
1: Klatt was pounding the table pretty hard too for for the frogs. yeah.
0: So it, it's it's good to have some some folks in the TCU corner. Uh, cheerleading on the frogs. Um, but like I said, focus now for, for the actual football team. And again, I, I I'll go back to one more thing on the playoff. Sorry. So everyone's kind of response to negativity about, um uh, the committee and TCU's place on whatever is Well, just go win the games, just go in the games. Yeah. That, yes. That, the, the football team should be focused on winning the football games but as fans, we can have fun with you know all this other stuff as well. So, moving on to the game, we've got Texas Tech coming to Fort Worth this weekend, Amon G. Carter Stadium, eleven a.m. on Saturday, and it it should be it should be a really exciting game, uh, one that perhaps TCU could run away with but also one that could be seen as a trap game. I think a lot of people pointed to the West Virginia being a trap game, uh, but this one certainly is as well with, uh, kind of the, the weight of the playoff rankings coming out and then ahead of Texas and Baylor in the coming weeks, uh, Texas tech team already with four losses, but certainly have given tough games to a lot of people and, have a pretty big pelt on the wall with a win over texas russ how are you feeling going into this texas tech game
1: yeah this is a a situation i think now where tech is uh four and four they're going to be fighting to make a bowl game uh fans on both sides i think are going to be fighting for control of the stadium Uh, i know there's been a lot of talk and if you'd like to call it controversy so be it about tech fans uh, struggling to purchase tickets, uh, that's, that's a whole nother topic. But as far as this game goes, um, Tech is a team that throws the ball all over the field. Uh, they run the ball, I, I want to say 70%, or throw the ball 70% of the time. Uh, quarterback seems like kind of an issue for the Red Raiders right now. I know Baron Morton has played the last few games. He looked really good against Oklahoma State, which was his first career start. Uh, but really, really struggled against Baylor last week in a 45-17 to 17 loss. He was 11 of 34, uh, throwing passes. He had three interceptions. Three quarterbacks wound up playing in that game uh, for Texas Tech. Donovan Smith got some run, and he was the, the quarterback who started the season before Baron Morton did. And then Tyler Schell, uh, the transfer from Oregon, who's been there, I believe, for a year now, uh, got a brief run as well so uh this is going to be a matchup defensively where we talked about tcu defensively getting off to some really poor starts over these last few games um you're not you might not be sure who you're getting at quarterback uh i saw a couple of tweets that baron morton is still taking first team reps and i don't know if they'll give up on him after one bad game but uh should he start for Texas Tech, I'd be inclined to believe that if the first few drives don't go their way, he'll get yanked pretty quickly for Donovan Smith or someone else. Um, and it might even be Tyler show, considering how some of these uh, more pocket passer types, like Will Howard and uh, Jason Bean, have played against TCU this year. So um, Defensively, it's it's going to be a test to come out and and start strong like you haven't over these last few games. And offensively, I think it's just about keeping everything rolling. I mean, the Frogs are running the ball well right now. I think they can establish at the run Tech's defense, frankly, hasn't done much all season. Um, I don't see TCU really struggling on that end in this game. Uh, but I think this is an opportunity for this defense that has – been able to generate some turnovers, but has also conceded a lot of yardage and quite a few points to really make a stand against a team that is prone to turning the ball over, whether it's interceptions or fumbles.
0: Yeah, on the the QB question, I, I think it'll be interesting. You know, we've talked about in some of these previous games where the quarterback change mid-game due to injury has seemed to really throw off um, the defensive game plan and and what was working. Um, and so it'll be kind of interesting to see if being forced to plan for all three of these guys, whether that helps or hurts. Um, because yeah, Tyler Shuck was the name starter to start the season and is probably the the more ready, uh, talented passer at this point, and if he's healthy, I, I would be, you know, concerned about him coming in in and doing the Will Howard, where he's able to to find the open spaces um, in in this offense that uh, certainly has the ability to be prolific through the air, um, Morton. Definitely as well, um, but just being a freshman, I think there's there's some challenge there for him to to come out and do that um, again against TCU, and then then Smith is that running quarterback. Uh, you know, he's he's talented with his arm as well, but that that threat with his legs more so than the other two are that um, TCU has actually handled that pretty well i mean other than the two spencer sanders touchdowns i think tcu has done a pretty good job of containing that running threat quarterback so um i I don't know whichever way it goes i think tcu will have something ready for either of those guys um so i'm feeling okay about that um as well, you know, seeing what Baylor was able to do to this uh, Texas Tech defense last week where Rich Reese just kind of ran wild against against them and, um, you know, if if Kendra Miller is anywhere close to, you know, 100%, he should be able to do similar damage and much, much worse damage um, to to the Red Raider defense. Um, so like you say, I think, I think TCU being able to run its offense should be able to have success. Um, as long as things are, you're not falling behind the chains with penalties or bad sacks. Um, you're not, you know, we, we haven't really seen bad turnovers, uh, really this season got to keep that, um, continuing as well. I think it will just be a question of, can this TCU defense stop um, what Texas Tech wants to do offensively and to be determined? And, and that, that'll be the, the, the big decider in the game.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, like you just said, TCU has taken good care of the football this year. Uh, Max Duggan is up to 26 total touchdowns with only two interceptions and no fumbles lost. Uh, Kendra Miller has been sure-handed. The receivers have been pretty sure-handed. Um, those are the things you can't have happen against those lesser teams because the longer Texas Tech hangs around in this game, the more dangerous they will become. And the more involved the fans will get. And, um, you know, offensively, the fast starts haven't been a a huge question. Since the Kansas game, the offense has you know, clicked from the jump, but uh, again, we we both agree that the defense needs to be able to come out and and make some stands early on. And frankly, if the frogs execute the way they're capable of and the way we've seen this year, uh, penalties largely have not been a big problem. Uh, they were a big problem, frankly, under Gary Patterson the last few years, uh, but not much of that this year, not many personal fouls or anything like that. So it's going to be, I I think this can be a heated game. Um, Possibly some, some trash talk. I feel like TCU tech is, uh, uh, has a little bit of a rivalry flavor to it, but uh, as we get into our, our predictions here real quick, um, I I think the frogs are going to be able to put up a lot of yards against this team and, um, I see a 49-21 to 21 win for TCU, who's a 9.5-point favorite right now with the total at 69.5. Uh, 49-21 TCU is my guess. Um, I-, I could see Tech stringing together a couple drives here or there, but um, I-, I think the Frogs coming back home uh, are going to come out and-, and make a statement. In front of the home fans, and the the fans are going to bring some juice for this one. So I like TCU big.
0: Love it. Would love to see that. Um, my my prediction on the game is I think there's going to be more field goals in this game than we would like to see. Um, just from the way the TCU offense has has stalled a couple times in that scoring area. So um, I think the TCU offense still clearly gets it done, and I've got the Frogs with a 37-24 to 24 win, uh, covering the spread but going under that total. And, you know, I think this could be the kind of game, I don't think this is an 82 points we run out of uh, fireworks type game, <laughs> but I, I do think that uh, the, the TCU offense could come out and, and really – Put some drives and and quick explosive plays to to get out to a big lead in this one and and allow the defense to kind of just hold firm. I, I think that's possible. Um, it's also you know that there's a lot of opportunity for chippiness here where maybe maybe players start getting in each other's heads uh, with the trash talk, like you said, and and just don't want to anything to happen in this game that uh, for any reason, a targeting call or some sort of ejection that prevents TCU players from participating later in the season, um, particularly in the next game. So uh, keeping eyes on that. Um, And, you know, I I think we're giving confident, positive answers. Uh, You know, if, if, if this is your first podcast listening to us pick games this season, we're picking the frogs every week, so it's it's worked out for us. But you know, I I don't think I, I think there is a world that Texas Tech finds a way to win this game, and and it it comes in some of the the old habits that we haven't seen this season, but you know that it's in there you know somewhere deep down max duggan could throw that interception uh you know deep down griffin kell could miss that field goal you know deep down those offensive tackles want to hold on that play um so uh you know deep down that tcu run defense could give up 300 yards uh it ought to two or three different running backs uh, for, for tech. They, they've got the talent there. So uh, there's no reason to believe that's what's going to happen this week and that our projections reflect as such. But acknowledging that um, TCU is definitely going to have to go out and fight and go take this game because, like you said, the Red Raiders are really fighting for their season here, fighting for uh, an opportunity at bowl eligibility coming up. So um, – it's, it's a key game and obviously one that, that Texas Tech and their fans have circled since summertime.
1: Yeah, and for what it's worth for anybody watching or listening, the Frogs are 8-0 and since Anthony North and Russ Hodges took over this podcast. <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. And yes, we pick the Frogs every week, and we will continue to pick the Frogs every week. And we're, bring, we're bringing some good luck with us.
0: That's what it is. We'll take all the credit. (laughs) Um, Okay, so elsewhere in the Big 12, as um, we start looking towards the end of the season and and how the Big 12 race is going to shake out, bye weeks are over um, for the Big 12, so everybody is on the slate from here on out. Um, Starting off with Baylor traveling to Norman Oklahoma is a three and a half point favorite this is an extremely interesting game to me I am I'm, I'm very intrigued by both of these teams I think that the winner of this game will by the end of the season be ranked I think Oklahoma still has a chance to like run the table the rest of the way um I think they're still a really good team and 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 Baylor as well I mean I think I think uh we TCU fans are going to be scared of that game in Waco and Baylor is shown to be a strong team I I think that they've started with a little bit of disappointment certainly on both sides compared to maybe preseason expectations um, but this should be a really good game and the winner is kind of still alive in in the big 12 race and probably can be on their way to being ranked by the end of the season I I didn't give a prediction there. I'm going to say uh, I'm going to give it to the Sooners at home, but I have no idea. I'm just really interested in the game.
1: Yeah, I was going to say I'll take Oklahoma in a close one as well. I feel like this is Oklahoma's kind of getting their sea legs back a little bit. Uh, Got a a two-touchdown win against Iowa State. Uh, Dylan Gabriel is back. They run the ball pretty well. I think Baylor has found something, though, with Richard Reese. Uh, who had I think 36 carries in the game last week against Texas Tech so they were they were riding that man all game and I would not be surprised if Baylor comes out and and I think every team in the big 12 has shown that Oklahoma's defense is pretty hot garbage um, So th- this one could wind up being a high scoring affair, but uh, because of that, I think that favors Oklahoma. I think if the score is low, it's going to favor Baylor, just because I think Baylor can play some better defense. But um, th- this will be the game that shows whether or not Oklahoma is actually a good football team this year. And and I think they'll be coming out, like you said, with a uh, a plan to try and run the table and, and get to, I think it would be 9-3. and three. So I'll take Oklahoma in this game.
0: All right, next on the slate is CFP number 18, Oklahoma State, against Kansas in Lawrence. The Cowboys are only two-point favorites over the Jayhawks, which is a very um, interesting line. I think that's really trying to bait people into taking the Cowboys. Maybe that's a indication that Jalen Daniels is back. Um the line is just too weird, so I'm I'm gonna take the Jayhawks.
1: Yeah, I think the the biggest concern for Oklahoma State. Yeah, they got their ASSs kicked by Kansas State, but the the injuries I think are starting to pile up a little bit. Uh, Dominic Richardson didn't play against Kansas State. Jaden Bray and uh, I don't think uh, Braden Johnson didn't play in that game either. And I think they have some other key guys that are missing. I'm not tied into OK State too much. Yeah, the
0: center, the cornerback. Yeah, you're you're right. It's it's a pretty long they, list yeah, so, they, on the injury list.
1: It's I think that's probably why this is a close spread because OK OK State's battling some injuries. Um, I want to pick Kansas just because I really I've brought it up before. I don't want Kansas to spoil all the great momentum they had at the start of the year. It's unfortunate what happened to Jalen Daniels, uh, but going from five and zero. To five and three, I believe I this is a. I feel like this is a must-win game, for for Kansas coming up with the, against a team that's kind of reeling health-wise. So, uh, I, I hope Kansas wins. I'll take the Jayhawks.
0: Um, the next one is West Virginia at Iowa State. Cyclone seven-point favorite at home. Um, I don't know. I guess I haven't really watched enough Iowa State this year. They continue, like we say every week, they continue to get this love from the, the betting line. Uh, I also don't think West Virginia is all that good. Uh, I, I have no idea. So I'll, I'll, I'll say Iowa State wins it.
1: Yeah, Iowa State's played well at home. Um, the, the, the biggest issue with the Cyclones, frankly, is they have beaten themselves up big time uh, week after week. Hunter Deckers threw three interceptions. Uh, against Oklahoma, had to throw 57 passes because they fell behind, and uh, just turnovers and miscues have doomed Iowa State this year and what's coming up now as a, a battle for the cellar. Who, who's going to be the cellar dweller, the, the cave dweller of the Big 12 after this week? Um, I'm going to take West Virginia. I just feel like even with a couple injuries, uh, West Virginia has the experience. It's going to be—I don't think it's going to be a seven-point spread. I think this will be a close game, but I, I just haven't been convinced by Iowa State that, with all the issues they've had taking care of the football, that they can <clears throat> win a game. So I'm going to pick the Mountaineers.
0: All right, and the last Big Twelve game of the week is a big one. Texas, two and a half point favorites in Manhattan against Kansas State. Um, I guess it'll be interesting here. If, if Will Howard has fully taken over this job, if, uh, Adrian Martinez is quote unquote hurt still, or if, if, uh, he comes back and, and takes the reins in this one. Uh, very, very interesting game. Um, Kansas state, I think has the right kind of team to, to take down Texas. um, and if Will Howard is going to be throwing the ball all over the field, um, pairing that with Deuce Vaughn, it's a it's a scary prospect. That said, I just think Texas is has the skill talent that Kansas State's not going to be able to stop. I guess the the big matchup here will be can the te- Kansas State defensive line get to Quinn Ewers. Uh, and and frustrate him because they're certainly capable of that. And and if they're able to beat that, that Texas front um, I think Kansas state may run away with this one, but outside of that, all other outcomes, I see the longhorns taking the win. So I I would go with them to, to win and cover that spread.
1: I am going to take Kansas state just because I think Texas being ranked with three losses is hilarious. Number one and number two uh, Quinn Ewers had a really shaky performance against Oklahoma State. I believe he had two or three interceptions. Was completing about thirty-five to forty percent of his passes in that game. Really struggled with the deep ball. And can- I like Kansas State's defensive line. I think they're going to find ways to get after him. Um, obviously, Texas can run the ball well. Both teams, both of these teams, can run the ball really well with uh, Bijan Robinson and Deuce Vaughn, but. Uh, Kansas State building off of a, a just a dominant win against Oklahoma State, where it was just no contest. And uh, Will Howard is playing with a lot of confidence right now. And I mean, even if Adrian Martinez is healthy, I don't see how you take Will Howard out. Uh, he threw for four touchdowns and uh, well over 200 yards in that win against the Cowboys. After playing really well against TCU, so. Uh playing at home with a quarterback, playing with a lot of confidence, I think Kansas State will find a way to win this game.
0: Yeah, and then it'll be interesting in that case how what, what else happens nationally but if Kansas State can can climb up into that top ten um if by taking down Texas. I, I think you'd have to think so, especially if if LSU takes a loss Against Alabama, um, as we all might expect. Um, Speaking of that, I guess Russ, do do you think? Do you want to talk about any of the the national games this week? There's there's a few big ones, um, obviously that may impact TCU's standing in in the playoff rankings. um, Should TCU win on Saturday?
1: Yeah, well, Tennessee, Georgia. I think we were both in agreement that. Whoever wins that game will fall to no less than number six, um, depending on what Alabama does. Um, playing at LSU, I think LSU was overrated, but I still think that can be a game. Um, Alabama has been susceptible to some close encounters uh, with Texas A&M, with Texas losing to Tennessee. So that's that's going to be a, a raucous environment there, and uh, Clemson Notre Dame is one that interests me personally, uh, just because I have some, some family ties to Notre Dame. So I have some family that are that are ND fans and uh, a, a team that really hasn't lived up to preseason expectations, but uh, Clemson has had some slow starts in recent games, having to, having to come from behind to, to beat Syracuse. Um, but apparently getting a lot of credit for that by, by being number four in the rankings. That's,
0: that's a yeah, it's a good thing. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but they, they, you know, DJ Uiagalelei has been shaky in some games. They they've leaned on Will Shipley quite a bit. Um, ND, I feel like could be due for a signature win. If it's any, if, if this was any opportunity for TCU to get some big time help from one of these teams in the top losing, it would be Clemson going down at ND. Um I I think to be honest, the chances of Clemson losing at Notre Dame might be greater than Alabama losing at LSU. I don't know why I feel that way. I just do. Um but I I I, I want N D to pull off the upset there. I'm gonna take Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman is gonna get his first big time win as head coach of the Irish. They're gonna beat Clemson.
0: Uh I've got yeah, I've got this I mean Notre Dame is also on a lot of other schedules. So, I mean, that kind of helps Ohio state. It kind of of helps USC coming up from, from behind, but um, Clemson's got to lose eventually. Right. It kind of feels like, um, you know, we're looking back at at 14 that Florida state team um, coming off the national championship, but clearly not as good in 14 as they were in 13. And, just like they just kept winning games. I was like, how do they, why do they keep winning this against a bad schedule? And I can see that being the way Clemson just kind of cruises its way back into a playoff. Um, yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, but like you say, that first game doesn't matter for playoffs. Doesn't really matter for anything. I mean, neither of them are going to go lose another game. Um, the rest of the season, almost certainly. And, you know, the winner gets to go play against most likely Alabama. And I I think there, there are very few scenarios that are realistic that see uh, Tennessee and Georgia out of the playoff. So it's, it's tough as one of the non Tennessee, Georgia teams to look at that and think, well, Okay, so we're 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 all these other teams are fighting for for two spots. Um, I don't know, maybe that's a little bit fatalistic or you know down, but eh, we'll see. It's it's a big week of college football uh, this week, and a lot of exciting things happening. Big game for the frogs. Big games nationally. You you gotta love college football. All right, so. Um, We'll hit a few other things here. We're, we're just over an hour in. Um, lots going on in, in TCU sports world right now. So TCU women's soccer has hit the postseason and took down a first round win over Kansas. Five to one in the Big 12 tournament uh, to move on to the semifinals against Oklahoma Thursday night. Um, and... Big 12 announced its awards. So, ten total Horn Frogs earned awards for for women's soccer. Five on the first team, uh, most out of all of all of the conference. Uh, had one on the second team and four all freshmen. Plus, freshman of the year Grace Coppinger. Unfortunately, Coppinger suffered an injury against Kansas early in that game. Um, and she's a defender and, and the TCU defense has, has been superb. A uh, lot of shutouts for, for TCU this season. So that's a loss, but um, her replacement in the game against Kansas came in and scored two goals. So maybe it's, maybe it's not all bad, but unfortunate to, to lose uh, such a high level player um, here going into the post season. Um, speaking of the, the post season. So if, um, If TCU were to win Thursday night, the Big 12 final would be on Sunday against West Virginia or number one seed Texas. And then Monday afternoon is the selection show. So we'll find out where TCU soccer would be playing in the postseason um, and perhaps hosting some of those early round games in the NCAA championship. One other news note of for soccer, former Horn Frog Yasmeen Ryan and her Portland Thorns NWSL team won the championship. Um, she scored, although I think they probably scored it an own goal um, on a, on a deflection. So uh, anyway, just wanted to get those in there. Exciting times for TCU soccer team. Um, TCU basketball also held an exhibition. Uh, on Sunday. Russ, I don't know if, if you read up on any of this. I was there in the building. I took I took my kids. It was a free event. It was a really fun, cool event. Um, so, you know, I, I may have not been watching super intently of what all was happening on the court because I did have uh, my little ones running around with me, you know, giving high fives to Super Frog and all of that. But uh, TCU won by 70 points. I mean, it is an exhibition. It's uh a, a NAIA team. Um, my top takeaways from this, uh, first of all, Mike miles didn't play at all. And, and, uh, Jamie Dixon said in press availability this week that he's nursing a, a foot or toe injury. Um, so something to watch there, but certainly what, what we saw there on Sunday, Shahada Wells was uh is a first action we got to see of him in a long time he sat out most of last season with an injury after transferring from i think UT Arlington and he he led the team in in scoring and rebounds and and really filled that miles role um otherwise the superstars continue to be awesome Damian Ball uh which we don't yet know what's going to happen with his eligibility um situation it's still kind of all, all of the messaging from TCU has been pretty vague. Um, there's been nothing formal from the NCAA, so we don't really know going into Monday's opener against Arkansas Pine Bluff if if Damian Ball will be on the court. Um, but man, he's he's great. He is he is a superb player, and if he's not able to go for for a significant portion of the season for the frogs, it's it's going to be a huge loss. And and if really if TCU is going to make its ceiling that that everyone thinks it can he's got to be part of it
1: mm-hmm.
0: um uh, Sh- shahada yeah, wells go i'll
1: go ahead and just touch on on the basketball here real quick uh like you said with damian boss situation still kind of uh in the wind you hope that he's able to get back on the floor as soon as possible but uh they'll need some backcourt depth They'll they'll need some guys to step up in that backcourt, and and Shahada Wells, a guy who didn't really play last year because of, a, of an injury, but at UT Arlington was a high-level scorer and um, could fill a big-time role this year if if Damian Baugh is not able to be out there because you're you're pretty young, I believe in the in the backcourt. I know you have PJ Haggerty coming in. I don't know how much he'll play. Uh, Micah PV is more of a more of a defender, more of a like a combo wing. Could play either the two or the three. Not much of a, a scorer. So uh, Shahada Wells could definitely take on a kind of like a sixth man role. I feel this year as a as a leading scorer off the bench, um, and then some. Some complimentary role players. Uh, Xavier Cork had some some nice plays. I watched some highlights. He had some nice defensive plays in that game. And uh, Jacoby Cole's is a player who got you know he was kind of like the ninth or tenth guy off the bench last year. Maybe he sees a little bit more run, but um, three point shooting I feel like is going to be an area where I'd like to see some growth. An improvement from this roster because I don't think this team really shot the ball efficiently from beyond the arc last year and you lost Francisco Farabello to the transfer portal and uh, he was kind of hit or miss at times but percentage wise he shot well from three-point range and Mike Miles as great of a player as he is uh, was also very inefficient shooting the ball at times so uh, being able to have multiple guys including a guard like wells that can score and shoot efficiently and effectively is going to be real significant for TCU as they get ready to open the season on Monday
0: and yeah I mean Chuck O'Bannon um was out there hitting threes and and it was one of those you can see it happening all season and it's it's just you hope ball is is able to play all season but he ball's vision he finds O'Bannon and O'Bannon drains it every time um it's it's beautiful to watch uh the other thing that you know I I think a couple things that we were worried about coming into the season were forward center depth behind um Eddie Lampkin and I think Suleiman Dombia I hope I don't know that's close um (laughs) and then Jacoby Coles and Xavier Cork both I think can fill that role pretty well, um, at least holding things down defensively. And then then Coles has clearly developed uh, a shooting touch as as he hit a couple threes uh, from the corner in this one. The other one that we were pretty concerned about from last season that is to watch going forward is free throw shooting and uh, looked great in the first half. Eleven of thirteen, everything is wow. Look at look at their free throw shirting. much improved. Second half came out uh, four of twelve, so still still something to watch um, to clean up. Obviously, against as the actual regular season um, begins and and against more difficult competition, it's hard to it's hard to know what to take away from an exhibition like that. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe some of some of the the refereeing was very interesting the the bench the entire bench got a technical foul after i, I think a walk on hit a 3 at, at like the final seconds stuff like that that you know the, every, everybody's just kind of out there having fun so uh hard to take too much away from it again their season opener in Shawmire monday night uh november 7th against arkansas pine bluff so get your tickets get out there go watch uh this exciting TCU Hornfrog basketball team. Um, speaking of basketball, we we got some news today that maybe Gonzaga headed to the Big Twelve. We're, we're going to get trips out to uh, out to Washington to go to go watch basketball. Um, I'm not sure how much this has progressed, but uh, just kind of a, a report today. Pete Dammel uh, put out that. Uh, Brett Yormark, commissioner of the Big 12, has been talking to the athletic director at Gonzaga about potentially joining up with the Big 12 and and making what will certainly be the best uh, basketball conference in America even stronger.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting because Gonzaga is a West Coast school, so you would think, okay, if they're going to go to a Power 5, why not go to the Pac-12, but... Uh, this is an interesting, it almost feels like a, kind of like an, an inside play. I know the media deal was just, uh, the details of the new media deal between the Big 12, ESPN, and Fox were just released. Obviously, that deal with the Big 12 comes before any Pac 12 media deal. Now you have a big brand in college basketball with Gonzaga uh, reportedly talking about maybe joining the Big 12, which we know Cincinnati. BYU, Central Florida, Houston are on their way. A handful of those schools have real quality basketball programs. And uh, I would be interested to see how Gonzaga figures into that mix. Obviously, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, would that leave the Big 12 with 13 teams? Would they look to maybe add someone else? Could there be more realignment down the line? But I, I think it's interesting because Gonzaga is a West Coast school. Um, but they're talking to the Big 12 and not the Pac-12. And I know there's been a lot of dialogue with all this conference realignment in, in football and basketball about are we heading to four super conferences? Uh, USC and UCLA, we know, are leaving to the Big 10. Uh, is Are Oregon and Washington going to skip out? What's their media deal going to look like? Is the Big 12 going to scoop up the four corners? I mean, uh, a, a pretty wild story. I think it would be... I would love to see TCU and Gonzaga square off personally. I, I think that would be that would be awesome, and for for Gonzaga, I think it's. I mean, I, the money would be kind of kind of ridiculous if they moved to the Big Twelve. But I'm sure those yeah, the are money, the disgusting.
0: exposure, the competition. I mean, yeah, they they play some tough games in the non conference, but pretty much from I don't know December until mid March, they're not playing a game that anybody nationally cares about at all um and if they were to join the big 12 they'd be playing games every night that everyone nationally would have to tune in i mean playing against tcu baylor kansas houston uh byu on and on i mean it's 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 another level that i think it it does make a little bit of sense obviously the logistics of trying to get from i don't know from Cincinnati and and Morgantown and and Orlando to to Spokane, Washington is uh, maybe yeah, a little that's, bit tough. That's, uh, that
1: doesn't that doesn't seem like a pleasant uh, flight. I know with today's <laughs> technology and today's airplanes, it may not be that bad. But uh, air travel is great. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um. And yeah, so you touched on a little bit the media deal. I think you know it, it, it put a little bit of um. Brett Yormark absolutely has come in and and gotten this done, and you know it's it's hard to know how much his influence made this happen, but I, I think there was so much chatter from West Coast media and SEC media of oh well the Big Twelve is dead and they're going to be getting like ten million per school per year. And why would anybody want to broadcast their product? Nobody watches, blah, 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 on and on. Stu Mandel just can't let it go. Uh, and and finally, the the deal actually gets done, and it's more money per school than when Texas and Oklahoma were in the conference. And certainly probably double what um, all of those kind of pundits were, were speaking to. And after all of the... The, the shares from NCAA tournament and bowls and playoff and all of that likely to push a per school uh, payout of over 50 million. Now, obviously we're not talking SEC big 10 money, but that, that puts the big 12 uh, right in behind that and, and ahead of uh, all of the others nationally. So it's, it's really just good to see that there is clearly Fox and ESPN have put a high priority, a high value on the product that big 12 will continue to put out um, very competitive conference in football and basketball um, where pretty much any game that, that you put on any of your platforms uh, will have some interest, some intrigue and, and will be a competitive contest.
1: Yeah. And you know, right now in football, you're seeing that, the big 12 can be competitive without Texas and Oklahoma. I mean Texas share their ranked with three losses but Oklahoma's got three losses and um, you know with TCU Kansas State and Oklahoma State being the three highest ranked teams in the conference Central Florida I believe just cracked the top 25 uh, Cincinnati just last year was one of the best teams in in all of college football uh, BYU is usually competitive every year so, um it's it's been good football to watch. Um a lot of close spreads as we've talked on the on the podcast before, and uh and it's gonna be even more competitive in, in basketball, in my opinion. And I and what I'm excited about is I believe Brett Yormark said even when these new teams join, the conference is not gonna split into two divisions. It's gonna stay just one conference. Um there might be some situations where uh, one school plays another school twice, and maybe they only get the other school one time, but I, I like that personally a lot more than having two divisions, because I feel oh, yeah. like when you have two divisions, then you have situations like you see in the Big Ten and the ACC in football. Not so much the SEC right now, because Georgia has been awesome, and I believe Tennessee is in that division as well, but... um. You have one division in the Big Ten with Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, and then you have the the division on the other side with Iowa, who can barely score ten points, and and Rutgers, and it's, it's yeah. I
0: mean, uh, at least Illinois is like respectable this year, but still, that's if that's if that's the best you're running out. Right. I don't know.
1: I, I just I like how you. Pl- In the Big 12, you're forced to play everybody. I've talked about it before, and going from 10 to 14 teams is not going to change that, and I think that's really cool because um, even if you're not getting everybody, you're still going to get the majority of the teams in your conference, and you're still going to have a better idea of who really the best teams are in the conference by the end of the year as opposed to playing the divisional format.
0: Yeah, and you see it in the Pac-12 this year where they have gotten rid of the division structure for purposes of their uh, conference championship. So it will just be the top two teams, and it's already you're seeing the kind of – it makes the race much more intriguing because the – the Pac-12 championship game could be USC versus UCLA or Utah. So where before, you know, those teams, only one of those teams could go to that, to that conference championship. So I I agree. I I like that layout. I think it guarantees better games um, and, and keeps the excitement throughout the whole season. All right. I think we've, we've hit it all uh, here and it's a lot so exciting times in tcu sports right now um can't wait for this game saturday can't wait for basketball season to start can't wait for tcu soccer going into the postseason um tcu volleyball is is racking up wins in the big 12 and and sits just behind the the big heavy hitters in the conference standings um it's just it's exciting times Uh, for TCU sports and uh, happy to be able to cover it all. And um, hopefully really appreciate all of you listening, reading to everything that we have on frogs following us, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. Um, You know, subscribe to this podcast, go catch us on YouTube. Um, And, and hope that, that you're enjoying everything that we're putting out and really thank you guys for, for sticking with us. Um, and that's all I have. I'll hit them with uh with the go frogs.
1: Heck yeah. Go frogs pack the stadium Saturday. Looking forward to getting down there tomorrow. Going to be, uh, hanging out with some, some friends and some frog fans and, uh, might be talking a little talk in the stadium. We'll see how it goes, but, uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun game. Um, bring the energy, bring the juice. Let's walk away with a dub and get to nine and oh.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, y'all. Go Frogs.